Hey everyone, welcome to episode 30 of the Inside Out Podcast, a podcast that just gets better with time like a fine-aged cheese. It's, that's what we are. That's what we do. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite, this is what I love to do, is is, is open it up with some... Bad jokes? Is that what you're <laughs> trying to say? You like to open it up with... <laughs> Besides the bad jokes, some scintillating conversation, some interesting dialogue. I loved your answers, Brent, for the first time we went through. That sounds good, but is it biblical? How so, long ago was it we played that game? It, I, it was at least 16 weeks ago. It was, a long, it was a while ago. I haven't checked exactly which episode that showed up, but it was a while ago. Yeah. And how, how did I do on that? Remind me. See if I can. Rem- if you remember. Um, I think, according to you, it was a hundred percent. Oh, okay. Just checking. <laughs> uh, I trust your judgment, though. It probably was a hundred percent. I've got some. They're all statements, kind of miniature statements. They might be biblical. So I need your clarification for me on. So this is not necessarily Christianese this time around, but it's it's definitely phrases Christians have been known to say, in some cases, abuse over and over again. Yeah. Like, we tend to do that with some things. So just as an aside, real quick, can I ask you a question? What's one musical worship song that you would be fine with never hearing again? Oceans. The, Oceans? Yes, by Hillsong. Is it because you sang it so much, or is it because you just... Uh, it, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm So for me, you know, musical worship songs, initially, firstly, they've got to be biblically sound uh-huh. and theologically rich. Yeah. So those two phrases mean different things. So biblically sound means, yes, it's true. It's biblically correct. Yeah. But if they're not theologically rich, so you, so you could sing, God is good. Um, and, and that is an actual, true, biblically correct statement. Mm-hmm. But to to say that that's theologically correct because you re- repeat the phrase seventy five or eighty times in really breathy with a really breathy voice, okay, um, that's not theologically rich in in the sense of it. It doesn't. It it just the repetition's too much for me. Sometimes okay. I just go. There's this one song, I can't remember, I don't know who says it, but they, they, the, the song keeps saying, there's this one word, there's just one word that describes you, there's just one word, over and over, and I finally, the first time I heard it, I said, I said to the, I don't remember if it was the radio, or if it was a, you know, a CD or what, and I finally looked at I said, just say the word, just say it, <laughs> right? If you keep telling me there's one word, but you never get to it, so I don't know, Ocean's. I think it was okay when it first came out, but my goodness, that thing got ran into the ground. It did. So it did. That would be one for me. Do you know one of my favorite moments ever regarding that song is I was I was speaking at a baccalaureate and there was a, a little gal that did that as a special for baccalaureate. It's a nine minute song. Yeah. She got yeah. the backing track for it. And there's easily three minutes worth of ad libbing in the middle section of the song. Yep. And it was painful because she knew she was doing bad. But there was like five minutes left to go in the song. <laughs> yeah, which, which in a setting like that, five minutes might it's might as well be five lifetimes. Pretty brutal. Pretty pretty brutal. But I digress. Yeah. Anyway, you did digress. I'm sorry. Okay, 
This is round two. That sounds good, but is it biblical? You're hearing these for the very first time. These have not been fed or, or, um, or no, rehearsed. No, I do not know what Michael is about to say. Have you heard anybody, anyone say this? Maybe regarding a certain ministry opportunity or a certain relationship or anything. I just don't feel led. Mm. That sounds good, but is it biblical? I don't feel led. Yes, which what they mean is, um, what, they, what they hopefully mean is, they have thought about the opportunity or the whatever's presented to them. They have prayed about it, and they're not sensing God giving them a thumbs up, green light, yes, do this. So that's what, they, that's what they're trying to communicate. So in that sense, yes, I say that sounds good. And I do think that if taken in the right light, it is biblical. Because we are supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. Firstly, according to what the Bible explicitly says regarding whatever. But there is a sense that, that you're, not, you're not getting explicit direction from the Bible on every particular circumstance or issue. So right. we just started uh, t- Tuesday night, we just started City Point Men and City Point Women. Well, there were, a, there were roughly 24 to 30 men who received the invitation from me to say, hey, if you want to be in this, you're being invited, but it's an all-in type of a deal. You've got to be in if you're going to be in, truly committed to it. And I've got a dozen, 13, whatever guys that are in, which is the right number, because it's, I just say, for the first 12 to respond, they say they're all in. And, um, and, and there are guys who would say, um, that's a great thing. I'm glad that the church is doing that. Maybe someday, but right now, they, they wouldn't maybe say it in the same language, but they would say, I don't feel led to do that right now. Circumstances in, in their own lives, business, family, whatever. Like, that's totally respectable. So, yeah, I think that uh, now, I think you could over-spiritualize that and just wait for some, you know, burning in your bosom to... Uh, to know whether or not God wants you to do something or look for some um, obscure sign from God to say whether or not you're led, uh, that, that could be over-spiritualized. But I think that's legitimate as people of the Spirit to, to be led by the Spirit in that way. But it is kind of an overused phrase. I don't okay. feel led. I would say feelings are hard. I don't feel something is a hard one. Harder. That's not like the best communication. I would probably say I'm not sensing that God wants me to do something uh, that that right now. Okay. Maybe it's semantics to some. Okay. So this as is long, be a long as long game if I give long answers you know, like this, that pretty much guarantees you're not going to be able to give me very many of I'm, these. I'm going to have a buzzer. It's getting okay, pretty late okay. in the day. So we you're gotta... saying basically you want a 30 second answer. <laughs> what what you're saying is it's it's biblical as long as it's not a cop out answer. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Here's the next one. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Oh, mm. yeah, it, that's true. Okay, that sounds good. 
that actually is true, there is a mystery to God's sovereign work that is quite difficult for us as humans to um, intellectually think through or to make full sense out of. Prophet Isaiah, God said through Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far my ways above your ways. We get it. I think that might be where that phrase comes from, not to mention the fact that it's like um, true in so many cases in the Bible. Like you could ask Joseph that while he's being sold into slavery, while he's you know, a, a slave in Potiphar's house, while he's an, a prisoner in the, the dungeons of, of Egypt. Does God work in mysterious ways? And he would probably say yes. I think so. And you know yes, what Joseph does. doesn't want to hear in the moment when he's in prison? The Lord works in mysterious ways. Yep. Like, yep. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear that. Yeah, so um, so I think it is true. But I, I, will, I will say that that one, I, I think you're trying to give me ones that are very worn out to see whether or not they should continue to be worn out. And I would say no. Find other language. That one's that one's worn out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, this is. A, I've got another one for you. Okay. Invite Jesus into your heart. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It doesn't even sound good to me. I mean, yeah. It feels it's, like it's like it the feels like first grade most accepted form yeah. of evangelism. Yeah. So I taught on this a while ago, just a little while ago, about this language that we use of accepting. People say, I accepted Jesus when I was whatever age of my life or whatever. That's not really actually very sound soteriology. The doctrine of salvation does not teach that. The doctrine of salvation teaches that Jesus has to accept us, not us accepting him, right? <laughs> he calls us to repentance and, uh, and to faithful followership. And on that basis, then he accepts us. Um, so the idea of accepting Jesus into your heart feels very much like a first grade gospel tract versus a, a, a sound way of communicating. So the Bible language is to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. That's how it says it in the book of Colossians. So that's a much uh, richer and more complete way of saying, is it wrong to say you accepted Jesus into your heart? I, I, I almost would say, I don't want to put it in a, I don't want to put it in a right or wrong, but it doesn't, it's not right. It's like, you're not accepting Jesus into your heart. You're receiving him as your Lord and Savior. Right, yeah. right. It's it's so much different than repent and believe to yeah. me because when I'm inviting Jesus into my heart, I'm, I'm inviting him into into my life. Like, come be a part of yeah, my what, life, I'm, what doing. I'm doing. And yeah. whether, obviously, we've used that so many times, we don't necessarily mean that, but it's almost implied in the language. I and, don't know. If you listen to some, they, right. they actually, that's how they see it, that, that uh, they're accepting Jesus into their life. He's now their uh, faithful servant. And they basically want, they, they seek, they see their relationship with Jesus as him helping them in their life's pursuits. Right. And, and that is definitely not what um, the Bible communicates. Right. And so we would take the opposite approach in that we join 
with God and what he's already doing. Yeah. And so we've been talking a, a little bit about that these past few weeks. Thank you for playing. It, that sounds good. That but was is it, it biblical? That's all. That's all. Because here's the deal. There's yeah. a couple more. We're going to save it for round three. Okay. There's it's com- it's coming three. again. Okay. Which it's, means to our listening audience, that means right there, Michael just did a pivot. He just changed directions because I was long in my answers. That's what that was. Just in case you needed a little inside scoop. There that's you go. not not quite true at all. I just, you know, I want to be able to save content so that we can, you know, keep this going for as long as we can. That's I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, okay. Okay. So we... But have you ever wondered why eggs don't tell jokes? <laughs> Literally not once. Huh. Why? Because they'd crack each other up. <laughs> you can edit that, was, that out if you want. That was... No, I'm not going to edit out the joke or my courtesy laugh that I just gave you. We're going to keep that in there. <laughs> okay. But each week... Okay, let's move on. Let's get... Yeah. Each week as we've continued in uh, our series on shift... We are committed to kind of bringing some additional content here to the podcast, we primarily being Brent. But this past Sunday, the big idea of the sermon, if, if you've forgotten or don't have access to your notes, is giving God the first and the best was written into the law and on the heart. And so going through that, and then and Brent, you finished your sermon with a couple of, a couple of uh, questions that you, you, you posed to us mm-hmm. as a congregation. Does God still claim the tithe as his? Secondly, if that is the case, how do we practice it today? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to remind us of those answers, if you can remember, uh, off, off the top of your head? And then, then I've got a question for you regarding church finances and how those are handled. So once somebody gives to the church, what is that process look like. So the two questions, does God still claim the tithe as his? Secondly, if that's the case, how do we practice it today? Yeah. And of course, in in, in dealing with that subject, the answer is, is affirmative. Yes, God still claims, claims the tithe as his. It was normal from the beginning. It's not couched in the law. It was written into the law, but it was in place long before there was a law. We see all of that. First two sermons in this series on... Um, Money and Possessions has, has, I think, laid out a, a, a solid answer on that. So, so the second question, if so, how do we practice it today? And uh, so my, my quick answers were that you, you give money. That's, like, that's what you, most people are compensated with money. It's not like we're outgrowing crops and then we bring numerous heads of lettuce or, or yes, um, heads of livestock. This is not the, an agrarian society. Yeah, anymore. not going to bring those to the, to the front doors of the church. But so you, so you give money either online or in person, um, you know, electronically or with an envelope in, in a bucket sort of a thing. Um, we used to, remember in the olden days when we used to pass uh, offering plates or buckets? Remember those olden days? Now these buckets, for the sake of, social distancing and COVID-19 restrictions, now these buckets are just placed by the exit doors and people yep. can drop them in as they will. So not there even, you go. They're not even passed anymore. No, we don't pass the buckets any longer. And um, so, yeah, so give, that's the first thing, give money. Give first, not last. 
communicates a lot about who God is in your life and how you view your money and whether it's yours or whether it's God's. Uh, so give first, not last. Um, give to the local church. That, that was number three. Give to the local church that you're partnered with in the gospel. That's because the church is God's vehicle by which he is uh, conducting his redemptive work in the world like Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, who was doing God's redemptive work on the earth at the time of Abraham, like uh, like the children of Israel tithing to the Levites, who were conducting the work uh, in the temple. That was God's redemptive work in that place in uh, in history, and so the church is that is, has been commissioned by God to further His work on earth now, and so we tithe to God by tithing to the church of which Jesus is the head of the church, right? So uh, uh, so that's to the local church. And then uh, this, one was in, this one, I think, was important to say, give without designation. That's because, uh, and like I said, designating your tithe, meaning saying, telling the church where to spend that tithe is like telling God how to spend his money. The tithe is what funds the church that allows the church to exist and carry out its fundamental reason for existence. And so uh, anything above and beyond the tithe uh, can be designated to a particular area of ministry or a cause, uh, but the tithe is not to be directed because that's the portion that God claims for himself, and we don't want to tell God how to spend his money. Um, and then the last thing I said is give whenever you get paid. So. Um, so the idea is that it's regular, it's scheduled. We don't, you know, some people don't get paid on a regular schedule. So they're, maybe they sell houses or something like that. But when they sell a house and they get paid, that's when they would tithe. Uh, for, for a lot of people, they get paid twice a month. So they could work it out like that. That's perfectly fine. Right. So let's say I'm a follower of Christ. I agree with everything you've said. I practice financial generosity regularly i want to make sure that the church that i'm attending and most people who are listening to this podcast consider city point church consider themselves a part of city point church how is that money handled after it gets into those buckets or is leaves the the checking account from Mm -hmm. online yeah wisely that's a good answer. Well, you wanted me to shorten my answers up, so I'm just trying to be, you know, cordial here. No, so so um, so how the money of the church is handled once it once a person makes their contribution. Um, so we have uh, internal controls that are uh, that are simple but but strong internal controls for. Uh, so you got reputable people, people that are trustworthy, uh, who would pick that money up and uh, always, never alone, always with, uh, you know, with somebody else with them, somebody that's not their spouse. Uh, so always two people, reputable people. Um, we do have uh, safes and lock boxes, those sorts of things to make sure that it's secure. And, um, and then we have reputable people that process that and get the money into the bank. Um, from there, we will uh, we practice uh, sound accounting. So we practice gap accounting, generally accepted 
accounting practices okay. for nonprofits and churches. So anybody that's familiar with with GAP, um, that's what that's that's what that's all about. And and so we're careful with that. Um, and we track designated giving and make sure that donor intent is honored. So if somebody does designate an offering, we make sure that that money mm-hmm. gets specifically and only utilized for that specific designation, uh, whether it's foster church or missions or the building fund or anything like that. Um, we do have an outside accounting firm who uh, who keeps our books as well. So there's so there's an uh, there's eyes on our our finances that uh, that is a safeguard for the church. So it's not only sound and reputable people internally, but there's also an outside accounting firm. And I think that's a safeguard to the church. Um, kind of on the management side of that, on the back end of that, what we do as a, um, as a staff is we build out a financial plan for the year. And, um, and then our elders review that and have their input, and then they approve that financial plan. And, uh, and then they oversee that so that on a weekly basis, uh, we get um, reports for what's come in and, um, and then monthly reports for both income and expenses. And we monitor the, the financial plan from there. Um, here's one thing that I think is interesting. Sometimes people think that, um, that, that the pastor gets the offering. Right, that's kind of an interesting thought. Right. I've actually had people say that to me before, and uh, and so maybe maybe that would be a good thing to clarify. The pastor does not get the offering. Pastoral staff, or however many people are on <laughs> staff, they don't get the offering. So, um, so our elders set staff compensation, and that's reviewed on an annual basis, and um, and then that's part of our our financial plan, and um, and so. The offering, the ties and offerings, the, the income of the church gets divvied up uh, in the financial plan in a way that would fund ministry, make sure missions, missions is happening, that the campus is cared for. So we have uh, what we call our big five. So all of our expenses fa- fall under five categories. Uh, first is operations, then what we call swab, salaries, wages, and benefits, then ministries, then missions, and then campus. And so within those five categories is all of our expenses. And so, uh, and the elders oversee all of that. So the they set the compensation for the staff. The pastors don't get the offering. And then we manage all of the expenses under the big five. So what questions do you have about that, Michael? You know, I, I would have a question, Brent, but I, I just don't feel led. Yeah, good. Okay, so in that light, then, um, may your faith stand when God calls you out upon the waters. 